Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today's special guest on Core Principles is the director of Jihad Watch, as well as a Shulman Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Robert Spencer is a true expert on Islamofascist threats to America. He's led seminars for the United States Central Command's Command and General Staff College, for the Asymmetric Warfare Group, for the Joint Terrorism Task Force, as well as for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Robert Spencer is also a best-selling author. Among his books are The History of Jihad, The Palestinian Delusion, The Critical Koran, and his latest, The Sumter Gambit. So thank you for joining me to talk about The Sumter Gambit. Robert, how are you doing today? Just great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Well, I know you are a powerful voice for liberty, and you've long been shining a light on certain dangers to the preservation of liberty, uh, including particularly the danger of Islamofascism, which I'm sure our listeners understand is aggressively anti-liberty. I know that you're being effective because I took a look at your Wikipedia page, and that proved that you are directly on target with your facts and your analysis. Uh, they don't like you over at Wikipedia in case you haven't looked at that lately. But uh, yeah, in this... In this new book, The Sumter Gambit, uh, you take a much broader look at threats to our liberty, and they're really well organized. I want listeners to be aware of some of these. They're like uh, the poisonous politics we have, the threats to free speech, uh, purposeful divisions over race and gender, uh, just open border immigration, uh, indoctrinating education, foolish foreign policy, and so on. Really well organized throughout the book. We'll only have time to hit a couple of these, uh, I think, but I'm encouraging our listeners to read about all of these in your new book, The Sumter Gambit. First thing, Robert Spencer, I wanted to ask you was to explain to the audience the reference to Sumter in this context and what you mean by The Sumter Gambit. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. The first thing is, of course, that the Civil War started at Fort Sumter in Charleston, South Carolina. And what I'm saying in the book is that the left is using a, using a variety of strate- stratagems now to try to push patriots into starting a new civil war by goading us in the same kind of ways, as in many ways, as a matter of fact, and in others that are radically different, uh, to try to strike out in some way that they can use to reinforce their bogus narrative about how we are traitors and insurrectionists and so on because they are authoritarians and they want to crack down on dissent they want to establish what is essentially a one-party state in which only one political point of view can be enunciated and they're trying to push us into an incident like for the firing on fort sumter that would enable them to implement the fullness of this insidious agenda well, that is terrifying. I hope 
listeners, you're getting the sense of just how serious this issue is. And so as we spend the next several minutes talking with Robert Spencer about this new book, The Sumter Gambit, I hope this will whet your appetite to want to dig deeper. The book is highly recommended and well-organized and well-documented. Well, Robert, as you set the stage at the beginning of your book, The Sumter Gambit, you highlight particularly a couple of events that illustrate kind of how far the enemies of liberty have already come. One of those was Joe Biden's notorious, infamous, I would say borderline demonic looking red speech last September, in which you say Biden declared war on half of the country. Now, for listeners who might be shocked by that description, would you please elaborate a little bit on why Biden's rhetoric and statements were so hostile against this nation? Yeah, this was a radically un-American speech. This was a speech like no other president has ever given in the history of the United States. Its importance cannot be overstated. And I think a lot of people just thought, well, this is just campaign rhetoric. He's just setting up for 2022, 2024, and that's all there is. Nothing to be concerned about. But it was actually something far worse, far more insidious. In the first place, you noted the demonic backdrop. The red and the black, I don't think that they were random. There have been, I've seen only much later, months after the speech, did I see that it was actually a red, white, and blue backdrop. But none of the photos that came out at that time gave any impression of that. And the blue was so far out of field that most people didn't see it. And it looked as if it was just red and black and those are the colors, historically, of communism and fascism. And so in the first place, you've got a very powerful symbol of very evil authoritarian regimes. And you've got two Marines behind the president. Marines standing behind the president is an unmistakable sign that he's saying, I will not hesitate to use the power of the military against you who I am speaking about in this speech. And then who was he speaking about in the speech? He said Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent a threat to the very life of the republic. There has never been a president who has ever said that his principal opponent and half of the electorate, essentially, were outside the realm of what is acceptable political discourse in the United States. But that's what Biden was saying. He was saying that if you believe in the Make America Great Again agenda, then you're not really in the mainstream of American politics. You're not even in the mainstream of what is acceptable. And the obvious next step is to, to criminalize the enunciation of that perspective, to jail the proponents of it. Now, obviously, he has not done that, uh, but it's only been a few months since that speech. He's got several centuries of democratic tradition to fight against. But there is no doubt, as I show throughout the book, that the Biden administration is making unmistakably authoritarian steps in numerous fields. And they are moving toward doing just that, criminalizing the opposition. Yes. Now, listeners, you may have picked up on the fact that Robert Spencer just uh, conflated uh, fascism and communism. And some of you may have heard in school, well, those were opposites. No, they're both totalitarian. They're both authoritarian. And therefore, they're both on the same side of any sensible political spectrum. And by definition, that is the left side. That's where there is total government control. The Constitution of the United States resides slightly to the right, where we have what's called strictly limited 
government control. So don't be fooled, listeners, by uh, people trying to tell you that fascism and communism are always opposed. Yes, there was left-on-left warfare, but they're both on the left. Well, another example, Robert, that you give about the dangerous path that we're on towards a loss of liberty is the FBI raid on President Trump's home. What about that event might some of us not even recognize as being as dangerous as it actually is? It is extraordinarily dangerous because that's the kind of thing that authoritarian governments do to their opponents. If you look at regimes like the Soviet Union or communist China or Nazi Germany, since you noted how similar fascism and communism are, and the Biden administration has elements of both within it, they these regimes, these kinds of regimes, they do exactly that. They criminalize their opposition. They find some way to portray those who oppose them as being outlaws and arrest them. And the pres- the show for the public is that these people are criminals and we have to prosecute. But what they're really doing is quite obviously getting rid of their principal opponents. Hitler did this with the Reichstag fire for which he blamed the communists. He outlawed the Communist Party, removed the communist deputies from the Reichstag, and then lo and behold, he suddenly had a majority in the Reichstag to pass the Enabling Act, which gave him dictatorial powers. In the Soviet Union, Stalin made Bukharin and the other old Bolsheviks admit under torture that they had committed various crimes of subversion to try to bring down the state. And so he was able to portray them as traitors, self-admitted traitors, and execute them accordingly. And so this was the first time we've had this kind of thing in the United States, where the feds went and raided a president, a former president, and a, a possibly a future president, certainly a candidate, who they were saying had broken the law. Now, you want to see how bad this was. We now see it even more clearly than we did when it happened, because now it has come to light that Joe Biden himself has multiple classified documents and places where they had no business being. He, unlike Trump, had no power to declassify this material because he took it while he was vice president and only the president can declassify documents. So Trump arguably had nothing that was classified because he could declassify it himself. Biden, on the other hand, had all kinds of classified information and the FBI found it. And for whatever reason, he's no longer useful to the elites or whatever, but they are looking into what he's doing, but they didn't go and raid his house and go through his wife's closets and so on. They only did that with Trump. And so once again, we see that the Biden administration is imitating authoritarian regimes in how they deal with their opposition. And there are many, many other very disturbing examples of this. Yes. And uh, your book is is filled with a lot of, uh, you know, highlights of things that should alarm us and do. So listeners, uh, become readers. The book is uh, The Sumter Gambit by Robert Spencer. Highly, highly recommended. Well, setting the stage for how precarious our situation is, I want to quote something you, you say. Civil war is looming and the left wants it, but leftists want patriots to start it, unquote. Now we can see examples of this horrifying truth already. I'm thinking of the Fed napping plot in Michigan, 
where the FBI initiated a fake plot to kidnap uh, Governor Whitmer. Uh, outrageous what the feds did in that. Um, another would be what some people call the fed surrection, uh, FBI implanted in and uh, cheering people on, you know, going to the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Uh, it was leftists, by the way, who were breaking glass. Uh, listeners, you can look for the episode on this program about January 6, and you'll hear some of the names of some of those people and hear from them in their own words about what they did. Leftists were the ones breaking the glass and stirring up mayhem. While, meanwhile, patriots were welcomed in. You may have been able to see this on video. Uh, Capitol Police opening doors saying, quote, I don't agree with this, but we were told to let you in. Come on in. But this has been painted as insurrection, even though, as Robert Spencer points out in his book, no one has been charged with insurrection for this. Anyway, we talk about that one all day, but it's a different topic. The narratives on those events, Robert Spencer, have been bogus because the narrators are mostly leftists. But how do we counteract the leftist ploys and avoid the conflict that they're stirring? Well, for one thing, we have to resist and oppose them publicly wherever we have the possibility of doing so and never acquiesce and play along. We have far too many leaders who are supposedly leaders of the opposition who accepted that bogus narrative. And you have Ted Cruz, who many patriots trust, Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell less so, but nonetheless, he's still ostensibly a leader of the opposition. And they all said, yeah, there was this terrible insurrection. And it's so horrible that this happened. That That is the most extraordinarily irresponsible and dangerous thing for them to have done. Because as you noted, this whole thing was fabricated. It was an attempt by the left to create a threat from the right that they could use to justify their authoritarianism. It's very telling that Ray Epps, the only guy who's on video, saying, we got to go into the Capitol, and he's saying it repeatedly, and he's never been charged. He's never been arrested. He's been the subject of glowing puff pieces in the New York Times and the Washington Post. Obviously, that in itself shows that this whole thing was a setup in order to demonize Trump and his supporters. So what on earth is Ted Cruz thinking? And McCarthy, people are happy with them now on our side, but we have to understand that even giving an inch, playing along for whatever reason in the smallest degree is extremely dangerous and damaging, and we must not do it. We have to resist them at every turn in nonviolent and legal means and never acquiesce to their agenda, never accept their narrative. And the more that we contradict it, and the more that our numbers grow in contradicting it, the more we will see that they're really not as strong as they portray themselves as being. Well, not acquiescing to the premise that they push forward leads right into the next question I had in mind, because other parts of your book, uh, you talk about these various elements of the leftist attack on liberty, but you also point out that the leftists are making increasingly ridiculous claims, anti-reality. You say it better than I could, so I'm going to quote you again. Quote, leftists today have embraced insanity on a large scale, and insanity cannot be reasoned with. But since this fantasy and falsehood is being pushed on Americans so relentlessly, it has to be answered point by point or it will gain traction, unquote. So my question, Robert Spencer, is 
How do we effectively answer the insanity while avoiding what the leftists obviously want, which is for us to accept the premise behind it? Well, you know, we saw this with the parents who went and protested at school board meetings because critical race theory and the LGBTQ agenda and the drag queens and all that was coming into public schools, even at primary levels. And so then we saw that the feds actually had the audacity and were evil enough to classify these protesting parents as domestic terrorists and open up terrorism investigations against them. Now, the unfortunate thing is that I have not seen reports, and I hope it's just because the press is not covering it, but I haven't seen reports since then of parents protesting. And what we have to do is to continue to resist no matter what they throw at us. And they are going to do these things, but then there needs to be protests on the protests. And in other words, protests against the parents being classified as domestic terrorists and continue to oppose and resist them vociferously, legally and peacefully within the bounds of the law, but absolutely adamantly at every turn, in every detail, and never back down. And so I hope that the outcome of those uh, feds classifying the parents as domestic terrorists was not that the parents just backed down and now it's all quiet. It seems that way, but if it is, then that has to be corrected. We need to send more people and have more people have the courage to go into the breach and stand up against these things. Well, there are a lot of fascinating and relevant observations you offer in your book about how the left is really fomenting civil war. I hope listeners will buy the Sumter Gambit and study it. But one particularly interesting observation that you included, and this actually came up in a lunch meeting I was at today with a man from Maryland who had just visited Monticello. Uh, You talk about the corruption of history being pushed on, for example, visitors to Thomas Jefferson's home, Monticello. Could you describe that for us? Yeah, it's been, it's a terrible thing. At Monticello and at James Madison's home, Montpelier, uh, there have been, there's a a woke, a very wealthy woke donor who has given millions of dollars to both. And both of these homes have been completely transformed so that you're not going to go there and find out anything about Jefferson and Madison anymore except that they were evil white slave owners and you're going to hear all about the slaves and about how they suffered and how they were oppressed and how they really ran built the place and are responsible for anything good about it and various tangential information about the history of slavery the history of racism and oppression in the united states critical race theory systemic racism the whole nine yards and that's at the homes that are museums and essentially monuments to two of the most important founding fathers. And so this is clearly designed to, in the first place, make Americans ashamed of their own history and heritage so that we don't want to defend it. If we just think, oh, Thomas Jefferson, he's not some hero. He wasn't some visionary who had some idea of how to have a just government that didn't oppress the people. He was just some white slave owner to be despised and I'm ashamed to live in the country that was built by these white slave owners that Jefferson underwrote the justification for in the Declaration of Independence. And so, you know, you you, you hate the country, you're not gonna fight for it, you're not gonna try to defend 
the freedoms that are guaranteed in the Constitution that Madison largely framed and so on. And so then it's also a matter of replacing the people that earlier generations of Americans were taught to revere, Jefferson and Madison and their colleagues, with the new woke heroes. And it's nothing less than a change of religion, in a certain sense, a change of America's civil religion that in the that is no less momentous than when the Roman Empire left behind its pagan gods and embraced Christianity. This one is a bit darker. It is the United States leaving behind the heroes of a free society and embracing heroes of authoritarianism and division and hatred. But that's what the game is all about. And so here again, are there protesters at Monticello? Are there protesters at Montpelier? If not, why not? And when are we going to start? This kind of thing has to be vocally resisted at every turn. Yes. So I was really shocked to hear that that was happening, uh, particularly at Monticello, but uh, not shocked that I can't believe anybody would do that, but that it actually has been done. Uh, Listeners, just want to remind you that if you don't already know this true fact, uh, America, since its founding, has been the most anti-slavery nation in the history of humanity. And if you want proof of that, go back and listen to some of the episodes, particularly uh, featuring David Barton or his son, Tim Barton. It's sprinkled throughout. It's been a theme that has come up in many of the interviews I've done. America didn't start slavery. We helped end it along with Great Britain and like-minded folks uh, who wanted liberty. Yes, it took this country 87 years in a bloody civil war to get it done, but no one had ever even tried it before. So don't be hating on America. Slavery was evil. Uh, The founders were opposed to it in large measure and put in motion what would ultimately end it. All right. Well, back to uh, the book, Robert. Uh, I have talked about several of the topics that you focus on in the Sumter Gambit in earlier episodes. One of the most difficult episodes that I ever did on this program was about Afghanistan and Biden's buffoonery related to the withdrawal, where he took out all of the the troops before he secured, you know, our, uh, well, he gave up our only secure aerial port at Bagram, uh, left people stranded, just outrageous. But it, it hit me hard because I was career military and I was deployed to Afghanistan. And that was a real gut punch to me. Now you say, I'm going to quote you again, the foremost and grimmest example of the human cost of the politicization of everything came with the spectacular debacle of the Biden administration's summer 2021 withdrawal from Afghanistan and the corruption of the military that it revealed, unquote. Now, so obviously Biden's buffoonery and weakness has led to, predictably, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and China's ever boldened actions against America and our interests. But for me, Robert Spencer, I wanted to focus on this corruption of the military that's of even greater concern. What are some of the key things that we should be aware of regarding the corruption of the military? How bad is it and how do we know that it is? It's extremely bad. It's extremely advanced. It started during the Obama administration. Of course, now we're in what's essentially the third term of Barack Obama. 
And so a lot of the things that started while he was president are now picking up and concluding. He forced some of the patriotic generals and other military leaders to retire. Many retired early under pressure, and he replaced them with people who were more political operatives than military men, and who at very least, even if they were career military, were willing to implement his far left agenda in the military and use it for a laboratory of social engineering rather than as an actual force to defend the country. And so that is now coming to bitter fruition. The Biden administration, as you noted, had a secure air base, Bagram Air Base. The whole evacuation could have been carried out from there. Nobody would have been hurt. Everybody would have been gotten out safely. And the whole thing could have been done in an orderly manner. But instead, he closed Bagram and made everybody go through the Kabul airport. 13 service members killed by ISIS there. People hanging off the airplanes. Terrible scenes. And why? Because his military spent the summer of 2021 involved in implementing critical race theory and making sure that the, the uh, military personnel were vaccinated and taking care, in other words, of all this leftist business instead of what the military should have been doing. And this is an indication of how far the rot has gone in the military high command. I'm not talking, of course, about the rank and file, which is still full of patriots, but unfortunately, they're not the ones in charge. And the people like, uh, you know, Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, is an absolute disgrace. Uh, in the first place, he's never won a war. He's 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 got no record of success whatsoever. And I think it's kind of an indication of how corrupt the military has become, that he's got a, a, a jacket full of awards and ribbons and medals. And, you know, I've seen the memes on Twitter of a picture of Eisenhower, who actually won World War II, and he's got a couple of medals on his, on his, on his chest. And Millie next to him with 30 or 40 medals, like a Soviet general on his chest, and he's never won anything. And it's an indication that, you know, the people who gave out participation trophies to kids in starting in the 80s and 90s, now they're in charge, including in the U.S. military. Well, that is terrifying uh, and a concern. And, you know, I went to the Air Force Academy. The fact that they're teaching anti-American propaganda now uh, to young patriots who are going to take an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all totalitarians and enemies, you know, uh, the Constitution is terrifying. Well, as we wrap up at the conclusion of your book, The Sumter Gambit, you express concern that the leftists want civil war so desperately that it may be inevitable. And of course, you caution us patriots that we must not take the bait. We must avoid the violence that the leftist is seeking. So what are the most likely ways that we might be able to restore Americans' dedication to preserving liberty while thwarting the leftist war against America? 
Well, we have to fight the culture war everywhere. And I think then we'll pick up a lot of allies and raise a lot of awareness because people don't really believe. I'm convinced that the majority of Americans still don't buy this business about being transgender or uh, that you, ha you, you can become a woman if you're a man and vice versa. And people are afraid on our side to deal with those issues because they know that the left will call them bigots and so on. And uh, that's always worked in the past. But I do believe, and I quite firmly believe, that if we stand firm on these issues and become vocal about them, we will win a lot of people over to our side. We're just waiting for somebody who will stand up against this madness and are not, they, they don't really want to take it at all, but they're just afraid and there's nobody out there speaking for them. That is an encouragement. Uh, one of the most encouraging bit of feedback that I got on this program came from a man uh, just this last weekend. I was at a symphony concert. A man walks up to me and says, hey, Clay, thanks for your show. How have you not been canceled yet for the things that you say and the people on your show say? So I appreciated that. That was a badge of honor. <laughs> so, uh, well, guests today has been Robert Spencer. His new book is The Sumter Gambit. It's a vitally important book. Highest recommendation, listeners. Uh, Robert, thank you for being on Core Principles. God bless you. Thanks for having me on. That was a real nice conversation. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.